0: Thank you, thank you for blessing us this morning. Well, I am so glad you're here. I'm going to read our Bible verse for today. I'm going to pray, and then we'll kind of get started with our time this morning. Um, The passage I've shared for you is a passage that kind of just got laid on my heart hard over the last few weeks while I was away, and so let me read that for you, and then let's pray. It's from the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 4, uh, verse 35. It says, do not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for your truth. We're so grateful that you can stir us through music, that you can stir us through baptisms, and you can stir us through the preaching of your word. And so, Lord, I pray that the words that you would Proclaimed to my lips today would be your words and that you would meet exactly each and every one of us where we're at today and move us to you, closer to you, deeper in our love for you. And so, Lord, we give you all the praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that passage has a bigger narrative to it, which I'm going to share a little bit more for you. But as uh, you might recall, I've been gone for a couple weeks. I got back last week, and we were on a little trip. And I got to be honest with you, there's nothing personal, but I really needed this trip. I really kind of wanted to get away. Um, We've been doing this thing for five years, and it's been an absolute labor of love. And most of the times I leave this church are for church-related activities, or I get to go see one of my kids, and and sometimes that's a little more work than a vacation. Um, and so this was a time which Jill and I could just get away and unplug. And in order to do so, I like to read. And most of the time I'm around these parts, I read, you know, what you would think. A lot of theology books and doctrine books. And then when I'm in my seminary classes, I'm stuck reading a lot of books there. And nothing, nothing against you, Doug. He's the librarian at Phoenix Seminary. But, but I, I consume myself with those things. And, and you kind of know me a little bit. Sometimes I like to kind of move outside of that realm and just kind of get away and read something that may not have the complete word of God in it. And I was given permission to do that from one of our elders, Tim Kimmel. He's kind of a funny guy, and we share some of the books we read that aren't really... Theological. And so I went down to the library and I love biographies on people. So I'm perusing the biographies. I'm thinking, I've got a vacation coming up. What do I want to read? And something just jumped out at me just as clear as mud. And it was uh, Mick Fleetwood's biography (laughs) for Fleetwood Mac. The name of it's called Play On. And if you know anything about Fleetwood Mac, when you hear the words sex, drugs, and rock and roll, Yes, that's exactly what this book was about, and I could find myself just saying, okay, I'm going to step away from my Christian little hat here and just kind of get engrossed in this book, because I, I love Fleetwood Mac, and I love some of the stories of their songs, and but th- there's there's some stuff that comes with that group that let's just say we're less than savory and so um, just so you didn't think I was completely lost during this time as I as I get all excited to crack open that book on the plane I look over and here's my wife my dear sweet wife is reading Cameron Townsend's book it's called good news in every language he is the guy who started Wycliffe Bible translations translators And so so Jill was holding me a little bit accountable as she would share stories from time to time about different things than what I was reading from Fleetwood Mac. Now, I want to be perfectly clear here. It's not a sin to read a book like that, I don't think. I think what was the tension that was uh, stirring in my soul was more that I was attempting to maybe take a break from what I do, but taking a break a little bit from my Christian walk, because I was really risking it sitting on the plane just waiting for someone to say, hey, what you reading? And then find out what do I do? And they said, oh yeah, don't they have... Well, I'm not going to tell you any of the stories. But if you want to know the meaning behind the song, Sarah, come see me after the service. (laughs) Well, as only God could do, uh, we love to also go to churches when we're on these types of vacations. and, And the Lord guided us to this little church, and I mean little, 20, 25 people, and the message that Sunday was on communion, and they didn't have a pastor, for say, come up and just give a message, and then they led him into communion. They had the communion elements right at a table in the center of where we were all seated, and they had four elders get up and just share the story of communion, the, the story of Christ's death, the Christ's that we know who sacrificed himself, took beatings and scourging and spitting and and names called against them and then ultimately suffered and would die for us. And they said, and Christians, it's not a time to take a day off. And I was just cut to the core at that moment that I was at least trying to tempt in some way to just take a little bit of a day off. Well, to say I was convicted was... uh, nothing short of uh, an understatement. That passage, John four thirty five, comes out of a, a bigger narrative. And the bigger narrative is a story that most of you have heard or some of you have heard, but maybe you don't know the rest of the story as John unpacks it in chapter 4. It's this famous story of when Jesus meets a woman at the well. And he takes kind of an alternate route from Judea down to Galilee, up to Galilee to uh, And he stops in Samaria, goes through Samaria, and he ends up meeting this woman, a Samaritan woman, at the well. And this whole story starts with a question that leads to a conversation that ultimately leads to an entire village, or at least most of them, being converted. And then we pick up the rest of this story, which I'm going to read for you, starting in verse 27 of John chapter 4. And you'll hear where this particular passage that I'm going to speak a little bit on today comes to play. In verse 27, I know I don't have it on the screen, but I just want you to listen as we tell a little bit more of this story. Just then, his disciples had come back. Now, they had gone away while he had this interaction with the woman to go get food because the journey was long and they could see Jesus was tired. And when they returned, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or disturb the situation that was going on there? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I've ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town and they were coming to him. The people, the throngs from the village. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat, perhaps thinking he has already been nourished? And Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. In some versions, it says, ripe for harvest. And he goes on to say, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." And it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I had ever did. So when the disciples came to him, or when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That whole story is unpacked because of a a detour in a journey, because of one question that led to one conversation that would lead to an entire village being saved. And so this passage has a little bit of meat in it that I want to unpack with you today about this harvest. And I've titled this talk today as The Harvest is Now. It's not tomorrow, it wasn't yesterday, it's now. And what we're going to look at in this story, as quickly as I can go through it, are the details around the harvest and what Jesus is saying that the harvest is now. And what we're going to look at is the signs of the harvest in this message. We're going to look at the 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 needs of the harvest, as well as the fears of the harvest. And so let me begin unpacking that story with you. And I'm going to get rid of this just because it's scaring me every time I look at Mick Fleetwood. So um, as I mentioned, there were signs all over the place that the harvest was ripe, and it began with this one question, which was an intentional question. I don't think Jesus was asking this question by mistake. It was just to one person where a relationship was being established, and then one big result, the conversions of many in this town. And you might be saying to yourself, well, wait a minute. One question, I thought it was just one lady. How could this happen? Well, that's the good news of the gospel, my friends. That's the good news of the story that we have of a changed life. When people hear the stories of baptism, when they hear the stories of when I turned away from this old life, whatever it might be, what's so sweet with an eight-and-a-three-quarter-year-old girl is she's not turning away from a whole lot of baggage, but she does recognize that she had to turn away from sin because she recognized that Jesus was her Savior. But we who get older, we, we kind of get a few more miles on us, a few more things in our backpack that we, we shed. And when people hear those stories of transformation, of change, they can't help but get excited about it. They can't help but want to know more. Your story can lead to more stories in this harvest. There was one woman, one convert, who began diligently converting others by going back and telling all that this Jesus had told her. In fact, it says she just dropped her water jug and ran with reckless abandon back to the town to tell the townspeople what she had heard. You know, that's the blessing of the gospel. And I really resonate with those words of David when he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That story of when Jesus became real to me, and I wanted to tell everybody about that. Because life and time has a way of wearing us down a little bit to where we become consumed with a few more other things that may seem a little more pressing in life, and we forget that initial joy of our salvation. And I wonder if people see that joy in us, the joy of our salvation. You know, it's like a forest fire. You've heard where that one spark can lead to this raging fire. One soul creates one more preacher for Christ. Imagine that, just one. The next sign, I would say, is the result of the question to the woman. As I mentioned, others came to hear. And you know what's fascinating for me is every Sunday I see people come to this church for the first time or the second time, they're guests, they're checking it out. They may be from another church, they may be completely lost souls. And what is the message that they're receiving from us? Sure, there's a significant amount of time that we dedicate to teaching and that's good and there's a significant amount of time that we, we, we allocate for singing But I wonder what they're receiving from each and every one of us. Is it the joy of our salvation? Are we greeting them, welcoming them? Do they see this as a grace-filled place that also speaks the truth? Are we looking to enfold them into our midst and connecting them into our homes, into our small groups, into our lives? No matter if they look like us, speak like us, dress like us or not. And so that's what the gospel can do as you go into the village or the village comes here to see us, as the community meets us where we're at. You know, the next sign is that people came to hear. And the people that came to hear were the most unlikely people. They were the Samaritans who came to meet Jesus, a Jew, a rabbi. They didn't like each other. And that's the miracle of the gospel. It bridges that gap between languages and cultures and what have you. And I think in our society now, we're getting to experience something that's never happened before to where the people of the Middle East are being tortured and tormented and they're leaving their country in throngs. And they're moving into our backyards. And we have a couple people in our midst that are reaching them. And... They want to come to church, and the only thing keeping them from getting here is a ride. And so I wonder if this would be that season of the harvest where Muslims and Christians would join together to love each other, to enfold them so that they can hear the good news of the gospel. Well, lastly, the signs of the harvest that I see are similar in our village as it is in this village that was being described in the book of John. You know, we don't have to look very hard into our homes, into our schools, into our places of employment, uh, just in the community and see lost and hurting people. These people are all looking for something. They're seeking for something. And they're looking for it in the world. They're looking for things that are of this world. They're asking questions like, how did I get here? What's my purpose? And is all there is to life just living and dying? People are looking for the gospel and they don't even know it around us all the time. You know, there's a a, a gentleman in one of our men's groups here who shares a message with his young boys quite regularly. He tells them all the time, sons, you have a purpose. This book that we read from, it holds the words of of eternal life, of eternal joy, of eternal happiness. Don't think you're here by accident, but you have a purpose. And that's the message I really think our village is wanting to hear. And so the question is, who will they hear it from? Which leads me to the needs of the harvest. Now, you've heard this passage before, most of you. It's the laborers. Jesus says the harvest is plenty. There are many to convert. There are many to preach. There are many to embrace and love on. But he says in Matthew nine thirty five, he says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, we who proclaim to know the Lord, who proclaim to have this changed story in our life, are those laborers. You know, we've leaned on technology to maybe reach people. We've learned on videos maybe to reach people, maybe some slick marketing campaigns to reach people. But nothing can replace what I would call soul reaping than being face-to-face, home-to-home, hand-to-hand, nose-to-nose, toes-to-toes, eyeball-to-eyeball with another soul who is looking for meaning and purpose in their life. Romans 10, 14 says, How then will they call on Him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? Brothers and sisters who know the Lord, we are those preachers. And part of that need of the harvest is making sure our tools are sharp. That's why we gather here on Sundays to to be equipped, to be built up. And my encouragement to you is to know your story. Much like this woman who ran into town, she began to tell these people about her story. Practice your testimony. Practice your your conversation about how you went from darkness to light in that beautiful song that we just sang. Get truth into your heart. Read scripture. Take a break every once in a while with Mick Fleetwood, but get scripture into your hearts. You know, one of the greatest ones you can memorize really quickly, it's something called the Romans Road, and it just is this perfect little passage of scriptures that that just tie the gospel together, and it basically says, all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death, and that if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. It's the gospel. Place it into your heart. Now there's some of you here that say, "But I'm not a preacher. I, I, ooh, I can't talk to people. I don't want to do it. I get nervous. When we even have the meet and greet time in here, I get scared to death." You know that's okay. But there's a rule for all of us in the harvest. You know, you could come by and support those that are on the front lines. You know, when the harvest is cut, it's bound up and it's brought into the storehouse. It's brought into our midst here. Those new believers, those those people that just began their journey. And what it would look like is you inviting them into your small group, inviting them into your home, getting to know them, inviting them to your Bible studies, inviting them to your house for dinner. Have them join the church community because fellowship is more than just Sunday. And other support for the reaper that's being done is to support those in our mission field, to support those that are going out and proclaiming the gospel in our neighborhood as well as across the water, serving in our community, serving in our different ministries, our ministry partners. You can come alongside and serve them by even taking our canned food over to the food bank or running things over to the house of refuge. All of those things are a way in which laborers can support this harvest that's fresh and is white and is ripe, white now. As only God can do, it was a couple days after that church service that Jill and I went to this dinner. And the dinner had kind of a... a cultural dance attached to it that we were kind of interested in we were going to be sitting with a a bunch of people that we didn't know just randomly placed at tables and so we sat down and i'm still kind of half feeling convicted about reading about fleetwood mac half just still wanting to remain anonymous and so i'm sitting here jill sitting here and this young guy about 27 years old sits here his name was jason and Jill's just chatting him up because he's this good-looking guy and I'm thinking she's thinking he could be a future husband for one of my kids and just really getting to know him and, and I'm just trying to be quiet. I just, I just kind of want to mind my own business and we come to find out he's a 27-year-old guy who's an engineer. Uh, his parents live in Abu Dhabi. They teach English there and then, and then he, said, he said this thing that just piqued my interest and you know me, I'm like a, a cat where the laser pointer shows and, and he said... He said, well, I'm from Wales. And I immediately just opened my big mouth. I said, oh, really? Where are you from in Wales? And he goes, I, you won't know. It's a small town. Said, oh, I've been to Wales a few times. We, we do a lot of stuff over there. And I, I started listening off these towns, little towns. And he goes, well, I'm, I live just, just a few minutes from that one town you mentioned. Why, why would you ever go to that town? And now I'm hooked. Because <laughs> the only reason I was going to that town was I said, well, I said well we our church helps another church over there uh, just tell people about Jesus because the church is dying or dead in Europe and I'm really fearful that our church in America is dying too and so I want to be challenged by that and I want to partner with another church in the gospel. I didn't share with all of that stuff but he he says he says well why do you think the church is declining, or why is it, and I, and I just immediately turned around, I said, why do you think it is, (laughs) and so I, I still hemmed and hawed, and and so this is interesting what he said, so this is from a 27-year-old boy, who I've come to find out his grandmother was a good Baptist, okay, so I know she's praying for him, his dad took him to church a little bit when he was younger, his mom's an atheist, And he said, well, church is no longer part of the community. He says, when my grandmother was going to church in her generation, the church was the center of the community. It was the beacon of true light and true hope, and and they would help the needy, and they were just part of the community. And and there was a a safety that they could go there. And and he said, I think what's happened is the church has just kind of vacated the community. Because it's not the responsibility of the lost, to come to us we're to come to them and and he said we just we don't even think about it anymore to go to church and then he says why do you think that is and then I'm going oh i just want to have my chicken i want to watch a dance i don't want to get into this i just want to go back to reading about fleetwood mac and and so i said to him i said well i think there's a short answer and there's a longer answer and i don't want to bore you in this time i know you're supposed to be having fun here and i said but But there's this little thing called, there's good things in the world and there's evil things in the world going on. I said, I think there's just a fight going on. And I said, and I think there's so many things uh, competing for us in our lives, in our jobs, in our money, in our relationships, in our uh, just, you guys could come up with a list of a thousand things that are competing with why you'd bother going to church. And I said, but the fundamental question I think everybody has to ask, and I knew this guy was an engineer, so I started getting real kind of engineering-type questions, you know, like, you know, everybody has got to ask at some point in time, how did you get here? You know, is this just all happenstance? Uh, you know, do, do you think the molecules that formed a human being just happened? And then, and then you got to ask, okay, I've been given some time that I'm going to live, and so... What's my purpose while I'm here? And then, and then you're going to die. I'm, I'm afraid to say that, but you're going to die. And then you're going to have to figure out whether this was all there was to life. And I got to tell you, this kid began listening to me like you couldn't believe. And then he got up to go somewhere and Jill said, hey, he thinks you're your, his dad. You really got to go out. And I'm like, Jill, I'm on vacation. <laughs> I don't want to do this. And so, and so he came back and he says, you've kind of intrigued me with your questions. And I said, I said, well good, um, and he says, what do you do, and I said, I- I'm the doctor of love, <laughs> no, no, I didn't say it, I, I, so, so, I, so, so I told him what I did, and I told him I, I didn't want I wasn't there to do anything wacky with him today, and I said, but I, I can tell in the way that you're engaging with me, you're stirring with those questions that I asked you, and he said, I am, and then he goes, uh, he says, can you tell me a little bit more? And I said, well, you're 27 years old and you're an engineer and you seem, he, he, you could tell he's, he's made a little bit of money and has traveled a lot and has a lot of things. And, and, and I said, Jason, I'm going to bet you, you make a little bit of money. And he says, yeah. And I said, how have you found the money part? Is it, is it the answer? Is it all you wanted? And he goes, no, in fact, I'm getting kind of bored of this job and I just don't know what else I'm going to do. And then I said you mentioned you had a girlfriend, and you mentioned you guys were living with each other. That probably means something is going on in your home. I said, I said, is that the answer? Is that the answer for you? And he goes, no, that's not the answer. And I said, Jason, I'm gonna fast forward for you. I'm 51 years old, and you're 27 years old. And I said, I've chased after the exact same things you've chased after, and I'm here to tell you, they lose their tastiness after a while. And that will go, and I'm going to promise you, Jason, you don't have to try drugs, and you don't have to try alcohol, you don't have to try all these other things, but all of those things will not taste very good to you until you find something that's eternal and will never change. And he just silently took that in, and he says, I'm going on a bike ride tomorrow amongst these trees that are special in this particular area, and I'll just be by myself. He says, I'm going to ponder those questions that you've asked today. So God knows what he's doing when he says the harvest is now. And he says, Rick, I don't care what you think, but you can't take a day off from your faith. And he reminded me of that very poignantly. Well, the last part of the harvest I want to talk about in our remaining time that we have, as we've talked about the signs of the harvest, we've talked about the needs of the harvest, but I want to close with the fears of the harvest. And you might say, I I don't see that in this story. I don't hear it in this story. And well, just put on your farmer hat for just a moment. And when the fields are ready to be harvested, they go to work. And farmers from all over the countryside will come together and help each other. But the harvest is now. When it's on and it's ripe, they have to harvest now. And every day they wait the harvest becomes less valuable. It becomes less harvestable. You know, when you leave things out on the field, the weather can damage them. The animals, birds come in, begin to pick it off little by little each day. Each day there's more lost. Each day there's less to harvest. And then there's some that ultimately never get harvested out there. And that fruit becomes rotten it becomes hardened, it becomes completely turned to the farmer, almost useless to the farmer. Those, I think, are those hardened souls around us that are so hard to the gospel around us in which we live, destined to never enter a place of worship or hear or receive the gospel. You see that harvest that isn't collected, We. We recognize that we're all part of that harvest at one point in time. You see, sinners are perishing every single day and saints are doing nothing. But what's reaping in that field are a variety of different things while we're maybe taking a day off. There's other hands, there's other philosophies, there's other religions that are twisting the truth as messengers of Satan Charles Spurgeon would go on to say the busiest bishop in your town is the devil who's seeking the harvest that's left in the fields and here's the last fear for me of the harvest and it's very close to me right now and not because of the Fleetwood Mac thing whether we're gathering in this harvest or not there is a reaper who is silently gathering at every minute every hour every day, and that's death. You know, we tend to think we have more time. We tend to procrastinate. We, we, we want to wait till the conditions are just right before I can harvest. I want to know my Bible better. I, I, I need to memorize more scripture. Well, the time just hasn't been right. And I, and I love one comment Brooke gave me one time that she shared with me. She says, it's kind of like with the people who say, I can't go to the gym until I'm in shape. Well, I'm here to tell you that life is but an instant. Life is but a mist. And the brother of Jesus, James, would record that so poignantly in his book where he says in James chapter 4, verse 13, he says, "'Come now, you who say, "'Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town "'and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. "'Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring.'" what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes? It hit me right here, uh, a buddy of mine who started, helped us start this church, Jim Haberstock, 56 years old. Great man, great believer, faithful dad, husband, brother, son, faithful man. Died in an instant. For no reason other than that was the day that the Lord had ordained for him to go home. And there's so many questions everybody's asking and why and the timing and all that, but it was just one of those reminders that we're not promised a single moment. And so when we wake up in the morning and we see the sun rise out of one eye, and we we're, we're, should be thanking Lord that he gives us another day to be his laborer because we're not promised a single moment beyond this. So what are we to do with a message like this? It's tough when your guy here doesn't get to preach all the time, so sometimes he brings a, a, maybe a, a challenging message to us. We can either accept it, dismiss it, we can think about it, we can tell others about it, we can debate it, but in the end, time is marching on, and there's a harvest that's plentiful, and there's a harvest that's now. And my guess is there's two groups of us here today. There are the laborers, and I'm guessing there are some that are part of the harvest. There's the one who know this passage isn't true and perhaps are feeling a little bit uneasy right now, as I did. And then there's those that are sitting in your chair right now, and you're wondering, I wonder if I'm part of the harvest. I wonder if I've ever really made a commitment or been able to answer those questions about life and life after death and how I am to live my life now and why do bad things happen to good people. Do I have an answer for that? Those that maybe feel a little bit uneasy as well because they've skirted around the edges of Christianity but have never jumped in with both feet. So to the first group, I close with this. When I look out and I see you, I see an incredible group of laborers for the gospel. And I can't help but imagine what it would look like if all of us locked arms like the farmers do and became intentional or purposeful together towards that harvest. If we all started to reach out and build relationships with the unchurched, our neighbors, coworkers, those we go to school with, the grocery store clerks, Our children. Our lesson is to follow Jesus's lead and it's simple. He met a woman where she was at, asked her a very simple question and let the conversation lead to eternity. We could all be a little bit more intentional and that's what I see when I look out at all of you. And the second group that I see is the harvest. Oh, how I pray that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, that your hearts have been softened to the love of a Savior who has died for you to take away your sin and to restore your soul into eternity. And I pray that you wouldn't let another moment pass without surrendering your life to Jesus. All the days have been ordained for you. They were formed for you. They were formed for my dear friend, Jim. He wasn't going to add or take away from his appointed day to die. And I'm so thankful that we could celebrate his day of memorial with full confidence that his life had purpose and he is truly with his creator. If I myself could convince you in some way, I would. But I trust that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today at this moment and that another day might not pass without your assurance of eternal life. And my prayer for you today, as I close in just a moment, will be for your salvation, for the harvest. And then for the rest of us, my prayer will be that the Lord will reveal in us ways in which we are to to labor, and we are to labor today. Let me pray. Lord, I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful that the gospel is so simple. I'm grateful that you've given us answers to tough questions. I'm grateful that you convict hearts, that you convict mine. Lord, I'm thankful that you placed a a guy named Jason into my life. And I pray that as he was on that journey that day, riding a bike amongst the trees, that he was finding the answers to those questions in you as the creation reveals the creator. And Lord, I pray for those in our midst today who are perhaps feeling that little tug that says, I don't think I've ever really committed myself to this thing called Christianity. I've, I've, I've come to church, but I've never really said, I believe I am a laborer. And Lord, I pray that this would be a day in which they would uh, not press the snooze button on the alarm, but would receive you today. And in the quietness of this room that they would just claim, Jesus, you are my Savior. And I pray that they would let someone know. I pray that even if they wanted to be baptized today, we could do that. So Lord, work on their heart right now, this softened heart, and help them to see that you love them so much. And Lord, for us, the the, the laborers who have, have claimed to know you, Lord, I pray that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation, would cause us to leave this place today and not let a moment pass before we begin that intentional relationship with somebody where it begins with a simple question that leads to a conversation that leads to eternity. And Lord, I'm not saying these folks should go out on the street corner and start yelling at people, but I'm telling them, and I think you're telling them, that it's just a simple thing that starts with an intentional conversation around a question that can lead to eternity. And Lord, we know that you are the one who changes hearts, and you draw them to yourself. So take that pressure off of us as we labor, and just help us to be the men and the women and the children that you've called us to be. And so, Lord, we give you this time. We're grateful for this message, and we're grateful that uh, you challenge us from time to time as we fight for the sake of the gospel. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, I am so glad you're here. And if you prayed just a moment ago to surrender your life to the Lord or are thinking about it or want to know more, I've got a team of people that will be up here that would be ready, willing, and able to do that. And so let love be genuine. Hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And what is good is there a Savior who loves you. There are answers to those questions about life, meaning and purpose, and where you'll go after you die. And they're all available at the cross, the cross where Jesus died. So bless you, and I'll see you next Sunday.